the scriptures, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 21. I debated what I should preach on today. Should I preach on a message reflecting back over the last year or looking to a new year? And I just felt the Lord brought me to the scriptures. What took place after the fact of Christmas? the beginning of our Lord's life. And it's a very familiar scripture, I'm sure. The results of Christ's first coming. So Luke chapter 22, we're going to pick up there, as I said, in verse 21. And we'll read down to the end of verse 40. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Peniel and the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the Lord grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Lord, we ask that you bless now this scripture reading in our hearing, asking, Lord, the Holy Spirit would now guide us in our thoughts, that we, Lord, would hear from you today the results of your first coming. And we do look forward to that second coming, which we believe is very near. So Lord, meanwhile, may we be faithful 
to the calling you've placed on each one of us that we would be your servants and your witnesses in this world. In Jesus' worthy name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. It's a very interesting passage of scripture, one that I'm sure that we have heard many times read and preached on. But my question is this this morning, did you notice something new in that scripture? I did. No Jewish priest held Jesus. The scripture makes it very clear there that when Jesus was presented to God in the temple, the priest didn't recognize him, who he was. He was the Christ. But God did not let this dedication go by without witnesses. Look again at verse 25 where we first read and hear of Simeon. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Notice here that Luke is referring to him as a man and not a priest. And then verse 27, that he was directed by the Holy Spirit to be in the temple that very day. He was a model, I believe, for all believers of all ages. He lived a life well, one that pleased God, directed by the Holy Spirit. That was his purpose for living. It was now fulfilled. I tried to imagine the excitement of taking that baby into your arms and praying a blessing. I enjoy child dedication, baby dedication. Uh, most of the time, children cooperate. Sometimes they like to outvoice me with their amens as I'm praying. Some are pulling at my mic. I've had all kinds of experiences, but it's a joy to hold those little children and to dedicate them to the Lord. Because the Lord is the only one that knows their life of what's going to be taking place but actually, when you dedicate a child, you're dedicating the parents. They're saying, yes, I will raise this little one to follow Jesus, to, to present to them the, the message of salvation. I remember, well, Stan, in, in your lesson this morning about the importance of mothers when we're young. It was my mother that took me on her knee and told me about Jesus. I don't think of a pastor being the one that did that. I was young and at home, and I learned the story of Jesus by my mother. By my mother. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph, as parents, were excited. What a special day in their life, the day they were going to bring their firstborn to be dedicated to God. And Simeon's last words were, and the glory of your people Israel. I'm sure this lingered in the heart and the memory of Mary and Joseph for many years hence. Imagine the excitement to, to think that finally their deliverer had come. And here they were holding him in their arms. But would all of Israel recognize his greatness, recognize this truth? Would all hearts welcome him? In thankful praise, as Jesus, some 30 years later, would present himself to the people. Look there at verse 34, verses 34 and 35, our key verses this morning. 
It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Simon is blessing the parents, but also giving a clear prophetic warning here. His words do cause expectations of the first coming of Christ. So let's notice together, Christ's coming did not have a uniform effect upon mankind. He would work upon, the Holy Spirit would work upon one soul at a time. Not the masses. As Rochelle sang that beautiful song, and by the way, that was a brand new song, I believe, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more of that on the airwaves. What a message. He came for one and he came for all. But he works individually in every one of our hearts. There's no two people here like this morning. Aren't you thankful? No one else looks like you or acts like you. We know that Jesus came and the Holy Spirit then moves upon every one of us differently. He came to save those which are lost in sin. And for all who come to him can be redeemed that call upon his name. For whosoever will. Wow, that's just wonderful. It's not just we brethren in Christ. Did you know that? Or whatever denominational tag you may hang on to. It's for all people around the world that come to Jesus. They can find salvation in him. Yet it's unreasonable to think that every person ever born would come to him for redeeming grace. I wish it were so. Not everyone has or ever will accept his offer of salvation. Because his good will is limited by our free will and action. We're his creation. What I'm trying to say is that the Spirit does not turn any of us into robots or automatically change us all in an instant. No. We have a choice. Are we going to accept the message of salvation or are we going to reject it? That's why I said this before, God never sends anyone to hell. A person goes there by their own choice and lifestyle decisions that they have made in their life. If Jesus Christ had come from heaven as a resistless influence for good, that all would be drawn to him automatically, would it mean the same as we accepted his offer, and confessed our sin. He never forces himself on anyone. He gives to us the power to choose for or against him. And so in the highest sense, then we could say that man is a master of his own destiny. Then the mercy and the grace of God will only act upon a person as they seek God for his help in time of need in their life. It's hard to imagine that God doesn't even withdraw our freedom even when we're using it against him and his cause. 
his kingdom. The words that should grasp our attention there in verse 34 is, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. His coming made everyone to think and to ask questions. Who is this man? Isn't he the son of Joseph from Nazareth? How can he speak with such authority? He speaks with more authority than the, pro the scribes and the priests. And amazingly, he starts, if you would just continue to read in that chapter, the very next uh, paragraph is talking about at the age of 12. Who here is 12? Anyone 12? In a couple days? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus, at 12 years old, came and sat with the scribes and Pharisees, the learned men, and he was sharing with them, and they were astonished. There was something supernatural going on. And his coming, many drew conclusions. There would be those that wanted to learn, to know all there was to know about God's truth. Then there were those who didn't want to hear. They resisted his influence because it made him feel uncomfortable. I pray that Christ's influence does exactly that. Makes us feel uncomfortable till we get right with God. They call that word conviction. Maybe we should pray, Lord, put more conviction on us as we meet in your house or wherever we are that People would be uncomfortable and they would seek you. We all, but all that met Jesus would never be the same again. It's still the same today. When we come face to face with the truth of Christ, we must choose that old age old question Whom do you think I am? What do you think of Jesus? Friends, there's no middle ground. There's no neutral ground. You're either for him or you're against him. Secondly, consider the two effects of Christ's coming. Simon, Simeon mentioned the first, the fall of many in Israel. The prophet Isaiah had said this, for both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Are they talking about my loving Jesus? There's another scripture we ought to ponder upon. And what, does, what is Isaiah really saying here? Well, if you study the life of Christ, you'll see case after case during Israel's history and when Jesus walked with them. You know, Israel had many failures. Their falls by misuse of privileges that was to bring them to God, and they were rebellious. And it almost seems like a paradox to think that here, Jesus came to bless and help mankind would be associated with the fall or spiritual failure of people. But it was their choice, just as it is today, the last day of this year. How often they despised the prophets rejected the sacrifices, forgot the law that was handed down to them. They wanted to do it their way, 
They didn't want to be told. Does that sound familiar in the day we live? All of these things pushed them in a downward spiral. What would happen then with the, when the greatest of all of God's gifts was given? When he gave his best and choicest after sending them many prophets, wicked and evil men would reject and ultimately crucify him. This was a prediction of Simeon that would be fulfilled even when Jesus came as a public teacher and healer, only going around doing good, you'd think the people would have flocked to him and loved him. But eventually, they put him on a cruel cross and crucified him. He came to his own, and they received him not. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, they wouldn't hear him. Oh, thank God for the common people that did follow him. In the early days of his, his ministry. Really, folks, there came a time when that whole crowd was out there crying out, crucify him. There was just a minority that still were believing. Only a few stayed true to the end. And so we see that the country of Israel as a whole, rejected him. But thank God for the remnant. I want to be part of that remnant in 2018. How about you? The world, so many can be turning their back on Jesus, but I want to stand for him. I want to walk with him and to live for him. So what was the kind of fall that Christ brought to the majority of the Jewish people? Notice Christ's coming was not a fall from professional, from the professional following of Moses and those teachings or the God-given commandments. On, on the contrary, they pleaded to Moses as a reason to reject the claims of Jesus. To all appearance, they remained what they had been. They resisted any change that Jesus was bringing and his followers. And they said that Abraham is our father. They had the law of Moses for their rule of life. They had the prophets. They had the beautiful temple with its divinely ordered ordinances which was carrying out their worship of the time. So how could they fail if they were such a religious people in carrying out the teachings, the law? Their failure in returning from Christ when he presented himself to them. He was the true, the true one, the explanation of history now in bodily form before them. He was the fulfillment of all that the prophets had told them and had announced. He was the ideal of righteousness in which the people longed for. To reject him was to reject all that they had up to that time. So it wasn't so much the sinners that rejected him as it was the, the righteous, narrow-minded ones. They were falling away from spiritual substance they were trying to cling to. Friends, this morning, none of us, no one, can reject Christ and remain the same. 
I think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day. He was trying to do all that he saw in the law and the prophets. He's very wealthy, had authority. But he came to Jesus in a moral sense, knowing that there was something different about this teacher and wanted to know if he was truly correct in what he was living. And he heard Jesus. He knew he spoke with authority and wanted his approval of the good that he was doing. I'm sure that he felt good in his righteous acts of helping others. And so he asked, what lack I yet? I think he was in for a big shock with the answer that Jesus gave him. Jesus said, go and sell all you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. What? He never expected that. But Jesus was revealing to him what he saw in that man's heart that day. One, love of money, position, self-righteousness, maybe pride. Covetousness ruined Judas and countless others who allowed money to become their God. You know, something can look so wonderful on the outside and yet it could be corrupting on the inside. Makes me think of my beautiful squash plants I had this summer in my garden. Oh, they were flourishing. And the squash, I was giving it out. I think I brought some to church. We couldn't begin to eat it all. But all of a sudden, one after another, leaves started to wilt and die. And soon the squash was over. Here there was a little, a little bug that attacked the roots. Jesse warned me, but I guess it was too late. I, he gave me some spray, and I sprayed him diligently, but the damage was already done. Lastly, let's consider the rising again of many in Israel. This also was predicted of Jesus, that he was affect the rising of many. It was an original purpose in his coming. A purpose which was only limited in its operation by the free yet perverted will of man. He still wants to raise souls to victory of all who seek him. He wants to raise us to newness of life. Praise his name. He's the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. To come into true contact with him is to be born onward and upward. Risen with Christ is how the Apostle Paul refers to Christians on this side of the grave. The rising of many in Israel is what Simeon said that day. I don't think he was talking necessarily about the future resurrection of the body, but the moral and spiritual resurrection of the soul. When we gather together in the morning to worship Jesus, I trust that within your heart and soul you feel raised and, and lifted to Christ, closer to the Lord. It's our thoughts and our hearts should be blessed, lifted heavenward as we center our worship on a wonderful Jesus and Savior and all that he's done for us. It's because of his presence that's living within. We've been raised together in Christ unto heavenly places in Christ Jesus is what the Bible tells us. And there's many accounts of those who were raised, such as Mary Magdalene, 
She was rescued from five demons. It was true of Peter who denied the Lord three times, but he repented with tears and he was raised again. Oh, what about Thomas? Poor guy, he lives down through history as a doubting Thomas. But he wanted to be sure, don't you? It shouldn't be so hard on him, but for a time he wouldn't believe. But when Jesus came and was before him, what did Thomas do? He fell on his knees. He said, my Lord and my God. He believed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, there's many others who experienced life-changing miracles of saving grace. God gave this second chance. And as I look over this auditorium today, we should raise our hands and say, yes, me too. <laughs> I'm in that number. Christ is enthroned in heaven, not merely for the fall, but for the rising again of all who seek him. His word is still true today, centuries later. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Friends, we can stand on that promise. He's never going to leave us. All of heaven wants us to be rising toward God. Victory is ours for the asking. So I pray this morning that as we come to an end of a year and ready to start anew, and that we would say, Lord, search my heart. Where am I standing before you? Is there anything I, I need to be working at, need to be changing? We would be hungering and thirsting after righteousness to be all that we can be for the Lord. Let's stand together as Jay comes and concludes with a song. Trust I have the liberty to change the, the uh, choice of the last song because someone had chosen it in the first set. So actually I got suggestions from three different people. So we're going to sing three different songs as our concluding song. So if you would please, uh, 224, two verses. So it'll be 224, and then 446, and then 574, just one verse. So 224, 446, and 574. Jesus may come today. Glad day, glad day, and I would see my friend. Dangers and troubles would end if Jesus should come today. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? Verse 4, faithful I'll be today. Glad day, glad day, and I will freely tell why I 
should love him so well, for he is my all today. <coughs> glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? 446. It's only one verse, so we'll sing it through. 446. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our way. Gentle shepherd, come and feed us, for we need your strength from day to day. There's no another day. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us, for we need to help us find our way. And then 574, just the first verse. 574, excuse me. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Till we Wish everyone a happy new year.